Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer who writes weekly forecasts at monarchastrology.com, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as personal development and living a spiritual life. 2020 is a big year. Astrologers have been talking about it for a long time. We've been talking about the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn. And 2020 also happens to be a year where Venus and Mars both station retrograde. And Venus and Mars do not station retrograde every single year. It's not like Mercury who stations retrograde several times a year. Venus and Mars retrogrades are definitely a whole mood. And if you have been tracking transits, you know what I'm talking about. And if you're newer to correlating the transits with your personal experience, then definitely watch out for the Venus and Mars retrograde this year. In this episode, Melanie Gurley and I are going to get into the retrogrades of this year, Venus and Mars specifically. And for context, It's April 17, 2020. It's a Friday night, and I'm in that shelter-in-place lifestyle, and Venus is currently pre-shadow for its retrograde. It went into shadow April 9th. Venus stations retrograde May 12th at 21 degrees of Gemini. It will station direct June 24th at 5 degrees of Gemini, and it will leave shadow July 28th. So you have, including the shadow period, April 9 to July 28 is your Venus retrograde time period. And for Mars, we have the pre-shadow starting July 25th. It will station retrograde September 9th at 28 degrees of Aries. Then we'll station direct November 13 at 15 degrees of Aries. And we'll leave shadow January 2nd, 2021. So that's a long time with Mars and Aries. But back to Venus... Because that's one that I'm really feeling currently. The pre-shadow period started and I wasn't really totally tracking it. I've known that Venus retrograde is coming, but I wasn't thinking about, you know, when the shadow is happening and whatnot. And I think that I've found myself pretty situated for Venus retrograde in terms of feeling it in my own experience. And there's a few things I want to share on that account. Venus will be square Neptune for much of the retrograde. And Neptune is this very spiritual planet. Um, It relates to illusions and delusions and the mysteries beyond the veil, its enchantment, its smoke and mirrors. It's, you know, a whole big range of things, but you can think of what's shimmery and mysterious and enchanting and sublime and divine, all these things. So one of the things that Venus retrograde is associated with is exes coming back into the picture, people from the past that you haven't talked to in a while coming back into the picture. It's a review of our relating style and our relationship constructs. And so on, in terms of what can happen on a mundane or everyday level, people from the past can show up. At a psychological or spiritual level, this can also relate to reflecting on people from the past. And I think that with the Venus-Neptune, what I'm really keying into is a theme around forgiveness. And I'm currently in a group of women who are working through the book Calling in the One, 
and some other relationship materials. So we're all kind of like in a group democratic coaching scenario with each other to talk about partnership and to be, you know, completely honest, having a really meaningful, sublime partnership is one of my deepest heart's desires. To be in a group of women where we're talking about that and like manifesting together partnership is really a unique and special experience. And when I got the opportunity, when it came my way, I was like a hell yes right away. And there were some synchronicities that created the alignment for it to occur. But as I'm reading through Calling in the One, I realized that this book is profound and I would really highly recommend it to anyone who is interested in doing some inner work and depth work and heart healing and heart opening work and you want to have a process with yourself or kind of have a guide help you open up to love. For me, like reading books and poetry and anything about love, like I have so much Pisces in my chart. I'm all about it. I'm happy to think about and dream about love. But at the same time, um, I'm not immune to having hardening or blockages or walls around my heart. And reading this book, I was brought back to the awareness of the healing power of forgiveness and For me personally, I've had seasons of my life where forgiveness is a heightened theme and I do a lot of healing and a lot of opening and then life happens and I accrue more experiences and perhaps more resentments and bitterness and all the things. And it hasn't really occurred to me so blatantly like a lightning strike right now that Forgiveness as a perpetual practice could be a more like literally heavenly way to live. Because when we learn how to forgive, when we actually successfully experience forgiveness, um, and I think that all of these things are attunements, they're mysteries, like self-worth, you know, self-worth is a concept and we find our way into it. Forgiveness is a concept and we find our way into it. And of course, any teachings or books or conversations that we pick up along the way that help us get there are amazing guides along the path. But as I was working through this thing around forgiveness, I realized that there have been people on my mind from my past, right? At a heightened frequency as we're moving into the Venus retrograde. And that based on how things aligned in this book and this group of women, I did the exercises in the second chapter of the book around forgiveness. And I had like a um, forgiveness and also undoing vows. So we've made promises in our lives that maybe we made years ago that we don't really need anymore, that maybe we didn't make those from a full place of self-awareness or integrity, or, you know, maybe it's a promise we made as a kid and we want to take that back. Whatever it is, like these vows, it could be a prior lifetime where you made a poverty vow and you're undoing that in this lifetime to experience more wealth. I basically had an experience for not the first time in my life, but again, in a way that really drove the point home to me that actively practicing forgiveness is a heart opener. I feel like I just cleared like a layer of like gunk or like um, tar off my heart or something like that. 
And so even though we're looking at a Venus retrograde where people might be indoors, like I don't know how long shelter in place is going to last. And when I think about Venus retrograde, I think about a heightened emphasis on relating and relationship. And this can relate to meeting new people or adjusting our agreements with our current relationships. Sometimes people um, break up, like there's more breakups that happen during Venus retrograde, especially when things were already on thin ice anyway. The retrograde is a time where it, it can kind of come up to the surface. And if there's about to be a big opening or deepening into the Venusian archetype through this retrograde, and a lot of us aren't even really going out and socializing, where is that happening? I mean, of course, on a mundane level, it can be happening through our Zoom conversations and our group hangouts and our calls and calling people out of the blue. I just got a phone call from someone recently who I hadn't talked to in seven years. And it was really cool. I really appreciated. It was cool to actually just get a phone call, not a text like, hey, do you want to talk? But like a call, like no one calls (laughs) these people my age, the millennials and whatnot. Like we don't really call each other. uh, I don't think as much as like generations older than us. At any rate, if we're not seeing each other in a physical way, which eventually we will as the shelter in place um, and immunity builds for the new COVID and whatnot. But in the meantime, I wonder if some of the deepening and the evolution that's happening around the Venus archetype at this time is an internal, like Venus retrograde can be a very internal Venus. So a sense of assessing what's happening in our hearts. How much, how much space do we have to receive love? Are we practiced in receiving love? Do we savor experiences? Do we ask for the things that we desire? Do we you know, ask for what we need? Do we let go of the things that we no longer need to be holding onto, such as our grudges and our resentments? like, I think that this can be a really beautiful time ahead. So I just have been really sitting with that. And I'm excited to share this conversation with you that I had with Melanie Gurley about the retrogrades of 2020. So a little bit about Melanie. Melanie Gurley hosts a beautiful astrology podcast and has had her horoscopes and articles featured on tarot.com and in the astrological journal. Melanie has spoken for the Portland School of Astrology and the Oregon Astrological Association and serves on the boards of local and international astrology groups. With over 20 years of study and practice in esoteric arts, Melanie holds intelligent space for creative meaning making and self-development. Melanie holds a Master of Arts in Contemplative Education, a bachelor's degree in liberal arts, and has graduated from the Portland School of Astrology. Melanie facilitates retrograde clubs, which focus on individual journeys contained in a group atmosphere and seen through an astrological lens. Learn more at beautifulastrology.com. And that's beautiful-astrology.com. So it's really cool. Melanie has been focusing her attention on the retrogrades and the nature of retrogrades and building a group space where people can experience the retrogrades as a community, which I think is such a cool offering. I know that for me, 
witnessing the retrogrades, they've always been journeys, you know, and especially if you're, you can be going through something so internal during a retrograde and to have a group of people who are, you know, talking about their experiences and have the context um, of what their retrograde is feels like a really cool experience. Melanie and I discussed these transits and had some kind of images come through and spontaneous realizations while we spoke about these upcoming transits. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Melanie Gurley of Beautiful Astrology. Welcome, Melanie. I'm so excited to have you here and to talk about the retrogrades um, coming up this year. And so before we dive into that, I would love to find out a little bit more about you and what got you started on the path of astrology. Sure. So I sort of came to astrology through tarot the most recently. That's kind of my big entry gate was through the tarot. Um, but I do have like really vivid memories of being a kid and going to the library and like cracking open the brand new Virgo book and being like, Oh, you know, just having that kind of that like visceral Eureka feeling. I was like, what is it? And I know this and kind of that, it was almost like a, like remembering when I first saw that first book. Um, but then more recently I, I kind of was called to work with Tarot and I took a, tarot archetypes course with a, a woman here in Portland who is, I've worked with for a lot and um, she teaches all kinds of things out of her home. And we did these beautiful, well, we were invited to do this optional homework that was to make altars for each of the tarot archetypes and we would use all the correspondences. And so that's kind of first what drew me to sort of a living astrology where, you know, I would make a altar for like, um, the emperor and put everything red on it and put, um, you know, Aries stuff there too. And then we would do these rituals in class then, and we always did it with the moon and what sign the moon was in. So I just got kind of like tuned into it in this experiential way. And then I dove in and have never come out. (laughs) You know how it is. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's really cool that you began, um, in such a like ritualistic way. Cause I really do feel like the planets and the Zodiac signs are like beings too, like that we can interact with them in that way. Um, so mm-hmm. what a cool way to get initiated. For sure. And it, and it's really, I still recommend, um, altar building to learn because it is, and actually when I, when I did the class, the other thing we did was we did, um, kind of journeys like visualizations. And so it was like, we got to meet these archetypes. And then we, when you do, when I did these altars, they were, it involved all the senses because there was like colors and shapes and textures and tools and, um, like, you know, the oils, there were smells and spices. So there's, it's, it was, it just really evokes like a being, you know, there's like a, like an energy that, that gets called together and you can really see it when you start putting all of this stuff together. So I totally recommend for anyone who's listening who hasn't ever done that to, to give it a try. Hmm. Yes. So what has got you 
interested in retrogrades particularly and how would you describe um, what retrogrades are, especially for people that, you know, hear about, oh, Mercury's retrograde, but don't really know what that means? Yeah, so I've been working for um, an astrology app, actually, in this past year, and we do live 15-minute readings with clients through um, kind of a chat room platform. And just all through the past year, through all the retrogrades, I just kept seeing over and over and over again how that's when clients were coming to me. And it's interesting, too, because even inside the, the group of people who work there, we each get different types of readings. Like, I think you've probably heard astrologers say that before. They always draw the same type of reading. So anyway, I was getting all these retrograde readings and people were coming to me and in kind of a lot of people came during the longer arcs, like the Saturn and Jupiter. And they would come during the the period where you're in the middle of the retrograde and you don't know what's happening. And there's like this hopelessness that that they were expressing through, through mm. their words, through what they were saying. And so, so much of me just wanted to be like, it's okay. <laughs> like, you know, it's just this, there's, you're on this timeline um, and they might feel weird for a while. And then later it's going to, you're going to start getting more information or things will start settling and it'll, you'll get back on track again. It's just like this mm. little side track that you're on. But it, but I would really, it would really come across from a, just how people were expressing that, that they just felt um, so hopeless. So that's, really what I'm interested in this year is um, kind of teaming up with people during the retrogrades, which part of me thinks is actually a little crazy. <laughs> As an astrologer, I'm like, what am I doing focusing all my work in the retrogrades? But I think it's, it's just so needed. Like, so yeah, so I am offering um, these retrograde clubs this year to do just that so there's so that we're going to meet as the retrograde gets going and then we'll have a few meetings over the period of different retrogrades for different planets and then um that way we'll be able to kind of be co-pilgrims and walk the trail together that's a great service it actually like having the context that a retrograde is happening as an astrologer knowing what retrogrades are has been very comforting um even while I'm watching things happen and pan out in ways that are confusing or inducing that sense of hopelessness that you're speaking of. Um, so what a gift to share with people to like add some more context and like really dive into what retrogrades are. Um, at just kind of like a physical astronomical layer, what is a retrograde? Sure. Yes. So from planet Earth, because we're not the center of the universe, even though we think we are sometimes, <laughs> it looks like the planets, um, because we're on the move and they're all on the move, sometimes it looks like if we look up at the sky, it looks like they're going one direction and then it looks like they stop and start going the other direction. And that's, that's completely the, the experience of a human on Earth. What's really happening is just the planets are like rounding the corner out in space to go back around the other way um, on their orbit. If you just imagine looking at someone running around a track, because you're so close to them, you can tell they're turning a corner and going around it. But if you just imagine like one end of the track and the other end of the track, the person goes forward to the end of the track and then they go back to the other end of the track. And it's like those are the turning points where planets turn around also. There's some variation because um, two of the planets are between us in the sun. So that's Mercury and Venus. So their timelines um, kind of 
stretch a little compared to the outer planets because of how close they are to Earth, because we're like moving while they're moving and we're closer. It takes longer for them to go around. And that's true for Mars also, even though Mars is outside. But when you go further out in space, basically all of the planets, all of the outer planets past Mars retrograde every year, but it's really us who's moving. It's us who's turning the corner. So it's just a, it's just like a visual effect, but over centuries and eons, the, all of the astrologers and sky watchers have recognized that when they appear to move backwards, their things they symbolize here on earth also appear to have correlating, uh, they slow down or they, they get turned inside out or mixed up. And so that's, that's what we're working with here. Um, can you say more about what kinds of effects we can experience during retrogrades? Um, and I know oh, so many people are familiar with like the trope around Mercury retrograde and, oh, your tech's going to malfunction and detours and changing plans. Um, and so there's a lot of buzz around Mercury retrogrades. And I think that not as many people actually know about Venus or Mars retrogrades, which are actually very potent, like those transits are incredibly potent. So if there's maybe like a, a commonality of what retrogrades stand for, and then um, perhaps as we get through the, the specific retrogrades of this year, we can dive a little bit more into how retrogrades um, shift based on the planet um, that they're affecting, but just what's a retrograde energy um, in general, like what is that expressed like? Sure. So the way that I'm framing retrogrades for these clubs is that there's basically like five periods. And the first one is, is when the planet is going by the first time and it might be kind of opening up different themes on its first pass. And then there's the period of the station where it starts really slowing down and then stops and then it takes it a while to speed back up again. And usually that's when things start breaking down or like you have to like start rethinking or you need more information before you can move forward. And then there's the middle part, which is the retrograde. And that's usually um, with some of the shorter ones, it feels more obvious, like especially Mercury and with maybe Venus and Mars um, because of the shorter timeline, it's like we can hold it in our minds and see where it started and sort of see where it's going. Maybe even, even if we don't know it's a retrograde um, and then eventually it does the fourth part where it slows down to station again. And then things like might get a little more weird, or that might be the part where you kind of start getting the new information for things to start settling down and clearing out as they do in the fifth phase where it goes back over the degrees. It's already gone over and kind of things get put back into place in a way, maybe in a whole new way than what you thought at the beginning. So, mm. I really, love that. Yeah, yeah. And that's true for all the planets. Like there's this lead in and then the stops and then the backup and then it stops and then it goes back out again. So that's true for no matter what the planet is or the, how fast it's going or the timeline or anything. But then each planet has its own significations and its own timeline. So with Mercury that we're all familiar with, partly why we're so familiar with it is because it happens so often and it's so short and it's so obvious, you know, it's like, I drop my keys in the toilet or like my texts aren't going through or like I have to do these 800 steps to make this one thing happen that normally is easy on my computer, you know? Um, and those are all 
the reason it's those things is because it's mercury. So mercury is communication and details, you know, so, and typically with mercury retrogrades, it's, it's usually more annoying than like life changing, but, um, but sometimes the mercury retrogrades, depending on what else is going on and what the context is, they might bigger themes might come through depending on how it plays out in your chart or with whatever's going on in the cosmos. Um, but I am, I was saying earlier <laughs> before we started recording that I think that there's in a way retrogrades are like overhyped and underhyped at the same time. And partly the overhype is like, Oh no, Mercury retrograde. Like, what are we going to do? <laughs> we can't do anything. I just, I think like some of the messaging that eeps out is like the sensational stuff. And that's what people like glom onto. And that makes sense. But really there's, it's, it can be like this opportunity to slow down and really figure things out. And I think that's really what happens more with outer planets like Saturn and um, Jupiter, partly because of their longer timelines. I often say like, how grateful I am that it's a longer timeline because they're usually bigger themes. Like it's like, it's not like trying to drive to the market. It's like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, who am I going to spend it with? It's like bigger, bigger questions. Yeah. I've noticed when Saturn stationing retrograde, like a bunch of content creators on Instagram will make a post that they're like, I'm taking a break for like a few weeks. I'm going to go like tune in with myself. And, uh, like they're not even necessarily tuning into the astrology cause they're not necessarily astrology brands, but there's a sense of like, Whoa, like, let me reassess what I'm doing with my time and my life. Um, and I like that distinction between, Mercury retrogrades kind of being like your keys falling in the toilet versus Saturn retrograde, thinking about what you're doing with your life in a, a bigger way. Um, what about Venus and Mars retrograde? Yeah. So they're interesting, partly just because of their timing. So Venus retrogrades about every year and a half and Mars does about every two and a half years. And again, that's partly just because of the dance we do with the earth and how everything moves through space. But then, um, so the, the things they signify can come up just like with Mercury being the keys. Venus is often relationships. I've heard a lot of people say, especially if they're like Venus ruled, if they have um, Taurus or Libra rising, then when Venus goes retrograde, they really notice it. Often it's in the relationships and it doesn't have to be um, romantic or long, that kind of relationship. It could be a friend or a, someone that you're caretaking or it could be um, like a business partner. So it's just relating with other people. And something I've noticed too, is it's, it's not necessarily like, um, are we going to relate? It's more like how, how, what is the channel between us going to be like shaped like, um, and then Mars retrograde, Man, <laughs> it can be relationship stuff too. Um, and of course it all depends, right? Just like what's your chart? What is the context? What else is happening in the sky? Um, I was just talking with someone earlier about their Mars retrograde today. And, you know, it you mean sounds... mainly or by experience? No, by experience. Yeah. So they have a, they were telling me a story for the retrograde clubs actually. Um, 
about their Mars retrograde and it, it involves like red cars and like fights with their boyfriend and stuff like that, you know, like everything you would expect. And, but then, and then so much more because of how their personal chart was laid out and what else is happening in the sky and everything. But often Mars and it could be relationship stuff. A lot of times it um, is like someone you used to be with might show up and you kind of have to like renegotiate that. And um, it can also be health stuff. I've, I've seen that some where Mars related um, health things might get triggered again, depending on like the houses and everything where it could be like rashes or, um, or even maybe like a car accident or something, but that would take a specific uh, transit. It's not just for anyone. So I don't want, I don't want people to get freaked out. Yeah. Like, oh, no, we're all gonna well, <laughs> What about the psychological side mm-hmm. maybe of Mars retrograde? Yes. So it seems to be like, um, and particularly for this year that's coming, I'm anticipating um, like feelings of frustration. There might be like anger that needs to be worked out. Um, partly, partly why I'm saying that specifically for this year is there's going to be a lot of squares to Capricorn placements that will be uh, maybe some maybe challenging with Saturn. Um, so just like Mars wants to go fast and so it's already irritated, like having to go backwards and go slow. So that's kind of maddening, I think, for Mars. But then also adding this this tension with um, Saturn, giving it, bringing on limits. So there's kind of two ways it could go. Like Mars and Saturn together could be really productive, actually. Um, but it seems like it could also be really frustrating. So, you know, yeah. there's, there's always like a bouquet of opportunity, but... I'm looking at this chart right now, actually. So it's September that Mars is stationing retrograde in late Aries and it's squaring Saturn and Pluto, Um, which, yeah, when I looked at that, I'm like frustration. Saturn, Mars is a classic like frustration combination, as well as like, you know, formidable action and kind of like military might. But um, yeah, I actually I want to back up a little bit. and maybe start just getting into these, the transits that are coming up this year and their timeline and uh, dive into um, what people might anticipate um, and yeah, how they may interact with it. Mm -hmm. So we have Venus stationing retrograde on May 12th in the sign of Gemini. um, And that's based on when we're recording. Um, We're recording in the midst of a Mercury retrograde, Um, but this is our next one. Um, So I'd love to hear your thoughts um, on this transit. Sure. Um, This one, Gemini, Venus retrograde in Gemini seems like it has maybe kind of one of the easier lead-ins. Like I actually think people might not really notice the shadow period as much as with other retrogrades this year, but then when it, stations um neptune is involved but through a square neptune and pisces Mm -hmm. and so neptune might bring in like this kind of confusion element or even like um possibly like a deceit kind of a thing or it could also be really dreamy and lovely (laughs) you kind of never know (laughs) i think about venus neptune contacts a lot actually and just the ways that um, their whole spectrum where you can have this totally sublime garden of Eden, amazing kind of love experience. And that can be in the self, you know, like having a, 
a numinous kind of Venusian experience of self, um, self-esteem, but also, you know, then in relationship and like a dreamy beloved or something like that. But then there's also the arc of like, uh, delusion and confusion and having really bad or poor boundaries in love, like just excusing behavior over and over again in favor of a fantasy projection of that person and their potential. Um, so I think it can be like a little bit of a slippery vibe, um, but it has that wide spectrum of like delusional to super magical. Completely. <laughs> and I'm noticing um, since you have the chart up and you have the, the asteroid goddesses there, Vesta is conjunct Venus as she turns retrograde. And so that actually what you were just saying could bring that out even a little more of like the being dedicated to this fantasy kind of. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's kind of interesting. And then shortly after that, Venus squares Mars. So you know, if I were making up a story for this, I would say like, oh, you meet someone in like April and then in May, it's like, ooh, dreamy, fall in love. And then in June, maybe there's a fight, you know, like this square. And then um, later in June, maybe you make amends when Venus stations direct again. And then it comes all the way back out and squares Neptune again. So that could either be like, oh, we really are in love, or it could be like, okay, this was all a fantasy the entire time. <laughs> so it's, it can be hard to tell, but those seem like themes that could come up with just those planets, but then also in Gemini. So as you were saying about um, kind of a lack of boundaries just from Neptune, but also both of the signs being uh, mutable. I'm going to share a phrase here that a dear friend of mine coined, and I love it, is that she said at some point, in the past that her mutability was becoming a liability. And I was like, Ooh, <laughs> that's so good. It's so true. You know, like just go with the flow for so much. You can only go with the flow for so long until it kind of might come back to haunt you a little bit. So. Yeah. I wonder like, um, to dig into Venus and Gemini a little bit more too, like, um, that kind of emphasis on communication and like how much, relationships are about communication and I've noticed like Venus and Gemini individuals being really um good at naming relationship dynamics like something's coming up in the field of the relationship and they'll name it in a way that's so clever I'm like whoa like yeah that's what's happening like how cool of you to name that um I love that about that placement and I think with the the Neptune square sometimes there's really subtle dynamics happening in our relationships that are hard to put a name to, or we may doubt that they're even real. Um, so I wonder if that might be something that people are coming up against is like how to have communication and conversations about subtle, confusing things that are happening in the relationship. Um, and how much like we want to process that on our own, but at the same time, if we just process that on our own for too long, it can build up and, um, Mm -hmm. I think part of the mutables, like they really work with, like they're so shifty um, that if they get a backlog of stuff without actually addressing it, it can be kind of like a, um, like a fantasy has been building for a really long time and it hasn't been addressed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then they have to face like disillusionment and unpack all of that. Yeah, very much. That's so, um, I've been listening to a lot of Myers-Briggs 
things. And that sounds like a super intuitive as opposed to the other one, um, the sensory, like the intuitive people are completely living inside more so than outside. And so it's really easy to build up that, um, that internal storyline like you're talking about. Yeah. Some things I think that we have going for us though, in terms of that dynamic for this particular retrograde is it does seem like that that could be set up surely with these squares to Neptune. But I also see that um, Neptune is being ruled by Jupiter and Capricorn. So one kind of way out of that I would see is to focus on what's practical as much as you can. So um, Neptune and Pisces, you mean the traditional ruler of exactly, Pisces right. is Jupiter. So we can look to Jupiter and Capricorn for like more context about this placement. Exactly. Yeah. In, in modern rulership, it's in its own sign. So that's also a bonus that it's, it's like right where it wants to be. But then if you look at the traditional rulerships for more layers of information, you can see that um, Capricorn is you know, that's a really good keyword is practicality. Like, so making your, trying to work your decisions through the the lens of practicality Mm. might help. Yes. I feel like it's such a Venus Neptune lesson too, to like really be clear about like, will this relationship or fantasy actually work? Um, And it can be fun. It can be like juicy to dream about something forever, but if there's really a true desire to like incarnate that love in a real way, I think finding a vessel, a relationship that can actually work um, Mm -hmm. is more ideal than fantasizing or pining for like an unavailable situation. Completely right. And it it depends where we all are on that whole journey. (laughs) Oh, totally. Yeah. Like I say that now, but I've had my experiences (laughs) of, uh, you know, my, Venus Neptune kind of experiences. And I remember even when I was going through them that a part of me knew like you're being kind of delusional, but I'm getting something out of it. Mm-hmm. There's like something that I'm getting out of it. So even that's a little bit different, I suppose, than like really fully being in an illusion and then being like kind of more catastrophically disillusioned when the whole fantasy crumbles down. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's All right. Uh, For Venus um, stationing retrograde in Gemini is that the ruler of Gemini is Mercury and it's in its own sign. Um, And they do meet up partway through. Mercury's in Gemini. Mm -hmm. So, oh, sorry. Do you have... Oh, no. So I was just thinking that, that when they do meet up, that could be like a real point of clarity. And that'll be just after the each station. The first station retrograde, there could be like after the Neptune stuff, you might have a really early on dose of like, wait a minute, <laughs> I need, actually, I'm having this insight right now. And then um, also after it stations direct, there's another one. So they get to talk together and kind of work things out, um, being on the same team, sort of. Cool. Um, well, as far as Venus retrograde, Um, And just kind of some like overall insights about it. Do you think there's certain things that people might want to pay attention to or see if they can enhance or focus on in their experience to like collaborate or participate with this transit? Mm -hmm. I find that um, Venus in Gemini is a placement that loves um, like playing, like uh, 
first one, I'm, I'm trying to get all the words out at the same time. They love, it loves like a playful energy, but also kind of like what you were saying with like the naming, but doing it in a clever way. Like there's very much a, um, I almost want to say Alice in Wonderland, but not so, that's kind of more Neptune-y. It's, there's like a playfulness that I can't quite, it's like if the Easter bunny was the rabbit and <laughs> Alice in Wonderland, it's a little like it's uplifting and playful. Um, but still there's kind of this Alice in Wonderland quality when she does pass Neptune and goes retrograde and stuff. But then, but then the, the rabbit helps her and also the Easter bunny helps. <laughs> so that's one way to look at it. Um, which more in less like visual, visual terms, that would be um, actually playing with words, I think, or playing with ideas. Like if, if there is a situation where maybe you're, maybe you, are having the suspicion that you're in a, in a fantasy, you can work with the words and try turning them inside out or take any belief you have about the situation and say it backwards um, and see if it's true or which one's more true or if maybe they're both true. You know, it's very, that Gemini feeling, I can see how they would both be true where it's like the devil and the angel on your shoulders. Um, but just being aware that that is, is a potential, I think helps so much going into this timeline that um, maybe you'll have a devil and an angel and they'll, they're both there to help you with that part of you, you know, hmm. it doesn't feel like it's going to be cut and dried, I guess is what I'm saying. Like it feels, even if you're um, like working it well, so to speak, it feels like it'll be pretty flowy um, and maybe, maybe not really pinned downable. But again, if you go back to the, like trying to find the practical, it's almost like the um, stepping stones through the forest, you know, or through the cottage garden. Oh, yeah, I love that. Um, like the experience having to unfold before the clarity even happens, it sounds like. Um, mm -hmm. I got the image too of like the scene and uh, the signs in Alice in Wonderland where they're just signs pointing in every single direction, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. All those options. Um, yeah. It's interesting too, just to think of the domain of romance and relationship that has so much to do with the unknown. And um, that sometimes if we try too hard to like pin something down and be secure and know what something is, um, that that can have a way of like, killing the spark or being, um, like too oppressive to a certain nature, um, of love. Um, which isn't to say that having, you know, conversations about commitment or agreements, uh, isn't good too, but there's that interplay, I think with Venus of like the need for freedom and romance and lightness, um, mm. and the passions and the insecurities that come up that want to like get certain and pin something down and yet how much we also love that feeling of newness and possibility and openness. Mm -hmm. Every time you say pin something down with these signatures floating around, I'm, all I can see is like a, um, like someone trying to pin a butterfly to a, a board, but, but the butterfly is still alive. Like you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if, um, yeah. So I, yeah, there's definitely this kind of, um, like flitty, um, hard to pin down quality, so to speak. Um, and I feel like with Neptune and some of what you're saying about 
and the mutability we've been talking about, we're kind of talking about boundaries a little bit. And also with um, Jupiter and Capricorn, it could bring up some boundary stuff, but I, I do feel like the kind of boundaries we, we might want to think about in this case are not like Saturnian boundaries. It's not like the cutting wall. It's not like yes or no. It's more like, um, it's more like an agreement to shape something together. That's kind of what I was talking about earlier when I was saying it's not if we're going to have the relationship or not. It's more like let's kind of mold this channel between us and what is it going to be? What mm-hmm. color is it going to be? Or is it going to be fluffy or straight and smooth or whatever? You know, that we're, that we're navigating that together through. It's kind of like like flying a kite on the ocean. <laughs> if you take like the wind of Gemini and the sea of Neptune here that we're but you're flying it with someone. So you have to figure out which, which way to pull the string or whatever. Um, Yeah, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, In my experience too, with Venus retrogrades, observing them, um, I've greatly enjoyed most of them. I had one that coincided with a breakup. So it was not like a fun Venus retrograde for me, but the other ones, there was actually kind of like a flourishing of connection and like a lot of, um, extra focus on the arts of relationship and a, like a, like a richness to those times. So um, I think that there's something about Venus retrograde where love is like more of a buzz in the air for people. And there's just a lot more talking about and processing relationship and maybe some new connections, developments of connections. Like it just feels um abundant in that way at times Mm -hmm. yeah it's so um present like it's so what's up (laughs) because with the retrograde yeah and also what you're saying i makes me want to remind people also just like the the love of self is is huge in those times when you're navigating especially difficult relationship stuff like what how does the love of self play into that Mm. um I wanted to ask about Mars retrograde, but now I'm curious about this love of self part and if yeah. there's just any more to say about that, of why that's important. Um, I think this year it's important partly because it's in Gemini. So it's a lot to do with kind of what you're thinking and your self-talk. And and um, with the Neptune contact also, it's kind of like the dreaming and visioning. So whatever we want to have happen, it's like... Um, focusing on that um, while also being aware that you, you're not getting sucked into like the, the fantasy vacuum. Um, but I do think like just self-talk, like whatever you're saying to yourself when, when things get difficult in relationship um, might be a pretty prominent theme at this, for this Mercury or this uh, Venus retrograde. Mm, yeah. That's super helpful. Um, it is such a balance and an art form too, I think, to visualize and have like fantasy um, and then to also interface with what's happening in space time at this moment. Um, and that if we do have more positive self-talk or expectations, we can shape better realities. But um, I had a mentor because I was confused about this um, you know, talking about thought work and 
It was like, what's the point of doing a bunch of thought work over and over again in a relationship? Like, what if the relationship isn't working and you're just doing all this thought work to rationalize it? And she said that, you know, if you have to do that over and over again and the person's repetitively like not taking your feedback or crossing your boundaries, then maybe, yeah, it's not the time to do thought work. On the other hand, if you have a connection that's like really abundant in a lot of ways and like there's a lot of value in there and things come up and, you know, and you're processing it, working on your thoughts and judgments about the other person or about yourself in the connection can actually really open up a lot in that connection. Um, so I think it's like a little bit of discernment and choice around how much is our fantasy and visualization, um, you know, supporting a flourishing in our reality and how much of it is kind of rationalizing something that we don't want to actually look at. Completely, um, completely. Yeah. And it's, it can be really hard because we're all so only in our own perception. <laughs> it can be really hard to tell the difference. And especially if it's been a habit for years, like I know people who've been in relationships for years and they're like, actually all of that work, like that meditation I did or whatever was like making me more tolerant to this terrible <laughs> dynamic in the relationship. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's hard. But then even those people eventually get out of it and find better relationships or whatever. It's, it's, it is really confusing, I think, though, to, and to be able to have someone you trust to help um, counsel you at those times, someone that is wise, like you're saying, you're, they helped you kind of like lay it out and discern which one is it, or at least brought up the question. Like, Right. No, this same like person, she pointed out to me too, that like, if you're in that state where you're falling in love or lust or whatever, and you're literally flooded with chemicals, sometimes you can think in ways that are like very much in that chemical soup. And no one wants to like see that or know that while they're going through it. And there's just kind of like, I noticed that dynamic too of like when someone's really freshly falling in love, it's kind of like a jarring energy in their, in their field. Cause like people that are around them may be like, not in the same space, you know, like they're just, they're not getting that like major dopamine kind of thing coming through. Um, and so just being able to navigate, like holding the perspective of like, my body is flooded with chemicals right now. And like, these are some particular facts about the situation. Yes. Yes. And holding both for sure. Yeah. I, I also wanted to say how, um, how much you can learn by being in relationship. Like it's definitely important not to stay in a, in a situation that is harming you. Um, but if it is like, like your counselor said um, about, you know, maybe there's a lot of other rich stuff and there's just this thing that you're just going to keep learning from. And that's just actually part, partly that's just being human. Like you are going to keep learning about yourself no matter what. And so with this particular person, it's around this particular thing. And I think of that as like how your charts touch or whatever. Yeah. That's so important. Mm -hmm. Um, so we could probably talk about Venus. <laughs> yeah. I uh, do want to hear about what Mars retrograde, like what you see for that one. Yeah, for sure. Well, the first thing to notice is really just that Mars is in Aries for half the year um, from June to December. So the end of June, but still um, basically the whole second half of the year. And for the middle portion of that, it's retrograde. 
um, some kind of good, potentially good things about it, or maybe that it's in its own sign. But I also think that kind of doubles up its its quality. So it might be even more noticeable than like if it was in a different sign. And like I already said, um, I think I mentioned earlier how it has some squares to planets in Capricorn. So it'll be a little frustrating maybe. Oh, and the other big thing about Mars, right, and is election day. Um, that's not, I'm, I'm more interested in the personal approach, but just also that's going to affect all of us, that election day happens right around when Mars stations retrograde and also at the same time Mercury is stationing. So um, that'll be kind of a highlighted moment of that retrograde. Um. Yeah, I'm really like, like I've been observing Mars retrogrades um, for a while. And most of them have been difficult for me. Um, so much so that the last Mars retrograde, I meditated a lot on it beforehand and tried to, I almost like got a whole plan going. Like I was just like, what's going on? What do I need to know? How can I interact with it? And I actually had a really good, um, time, the last Mars retrograde. And what I noticed was that, um, it was like an impulse control lesson that mm -hmm. when Mars stations, when Mars is retrograde situations will frustrate me and I'll want to act out or lash out in some way, like send that angry text. That's going to be, have a catastrophic result in the situation, you know, that kind of thing. And having to like really wrestle with that aggression inside of me instead of, uh, externalizing it. And then on the other hand, let's say that a situation, um, I haven't been standing up for myself or haven't been in touch with my anger in a healthy enough way, then Mars retrograde might be a moment to actually do something about it. So it's an interesting kind of like recalibration of will. And I just think that it's, um, when Mercury stations retrograde or is retrograde, I don't feel like I'm like wrestling. I don't feel like I'm sweating, you know, like some things happen that are whimsical and potentially inconvenient. Um, and I, there's an intellectual energy to it, but when Mars is retrograde, I'm like, I'm wrestling and I'm in it a lot of the time. And so I actually have like a certain level of respect for that transit of just like, Oh, okay. Mars is retrograde. Like because of my experiences with it. Um, and, uh, like, but my heart just kind of like, I felt something in there when I said that, like, I really, um, desire to have like an open-hearted perspective of all the transits. So it's not like I'm like projecting. I do my best to not project onto certain transits like that, but um, I'll just say it has my attention. <laughs> yeah, <for laughs> I'm sure. careful about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I do recognize what you're saying about that. Um, there's a, like I, there's a couple of branches I want to go down, but one of them is that the person I was talking to earlier today who I mentioned, they were talking about a Mars retrograde and they are a Mars ruled chart. And they were saying with Mars rising and they were saying that um, they, 
they find it to be super bodily and like visceral, like what you're saying. It's not, you can't talk it out. <laughs> it's not like a mental process. It's, it's more, um, wrestling is a very apt description, whether, whether that's like literal physical or it's just more like the wrestling, the demons or, or however, however that turns out. It also makes me think of the term of like, my blood is boiling which is super Martian also, especially in Aries. It feels like this is just so red and hot and like, ugh, like frustrated is kind of the, the feel I get. Um, and like Mars wants to go fast and Mars is not only retrograde, but like everything else in the sky is retrograde at this point, pretty much. We're out of um, Venus retrograde, but then even, even Mercury comes back. Um, and then all the outer planets are retrograde. So it does seem like there's like this slowing down and Mars. Um, so I can see lessons around quote questions around when to act, like what you're saying, like standing up for yourself and saying no when something is awful. Like that's super important. I'm going to cry about it actually right now. Like, I'm, I, so that feels real. <laughs> that might come up this year saying no um, when you need to is a something to keep in mind this, this fall. And, um, and also just like really getting it out of your body. Like I feel like moving, moving your body and, um, and, and saying what needs to be said or doing what needs to be done, even if it's hard. That was a theme that came through with this other person is, um, they, they were in a frustrating situation and, had to take these certain actions that they didn't like and that they didn't really want to, but they needed to. So there's a, there's a, a factor of necessity and taking action. So that feels like another way to, to frame your mind going into it is that there could be just required action um, that maybe you don't want to do, but you need to. So the, that's kind of like the soldiery feeling, I guess, that um, Mars and Aries might have. Oh, totally. Yeah, I can resonate with that. Um, and it's, it's courage, like Mars is teaching us courage. And so I think that having to make choices that call upon our courage, like, it, when we think about lessons that we may be learning, and if courage is a lesson, then, you know, what situations are inspiring courage, like maybe dealing with the unknown, having to make a choice that, you know, could be difficult, having to, to do something that we've been afraid to do. Um, feels kind of like a Martian kind of lesson. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember talking about that same kind of theme with um, Aries placement people, that especially the moon, that they, it was really about, um, yeah, being brave. Like you, you kind of think those people are brave because of that placement, but it's actually they're, they're, they have to work that muscle all the time. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm an Aries. So yeah, uh, there's sometimes a quality with Aries. I think that's uh, almost kind of jock like where like if you asked like a, an athlete who is just naturally athletic, they didn't work very hard. Like, how'd you do that? And they're kind of like, I don't know, like, <laughs> leave me alone. There's like, <laughs> and that sense of just like, what, what? I'm just being me, you know, like there's such a kind of innocence about Aries. And actually I've been thinking a lot. Um, this has been a download that's come through, um, 
while Venus is in Aries currently around kind of like lessons around facing where we've been clueless. And so Mars is going to be square Pluto. So there's going to, you know, something there around the unconscious Pluto. But Mm -hmm. part of why I think like, like there's something with Mars and Aries around the potential to be a bully, you know, to use force in a certain way. And sometimes people are consciously doing that. Um, And other times it's just not being fully aware of one's strength in the situation, such as someone who's really strong-willed, who gets their way a lot of the time because they're unknowingly trampling over other people's preferences, assuming that other people would be as strong-willed as they are. And I think that this has even been, you know, a lesson in the collective in terms of like the Me Too and just kind of like a lot of men and Mars relating to men kind of having this for a lot of them, a shocking awakening of how many women have experienced um, some form of sexual assault Mm -hmm. and that there was, there were men who weren't aware that that was so common or aware that maybe they themselves had crossed boundaries in that way, that it wasn't their intention to do that, you know? And so I feel like there's something with Aries and so Mars retrograde in Aries of like, Mm -hmm maybe taking a step back and seeing like, what's the actual impact of this action that I'm taking that I'm kind of blind about just because I have this natural strength or might, you know? Totally. I know I have really close experience with this energy. Um, and the way I want to talk about it and frame it right now is, is actually through the Enneagram. So I don't know if listeners know what that is, but it's um, basically like a, a type a personality typing system that is that sort of focuses on like your emotional or psycho spiritual self and maybe kind of uh, wounding so it translates really well into astrology but the the energy i'm thinking of with mars and aries is um the number eight in the enneagram which is sometimes called the boss or the challenger and that energy is super direct always challenging always going for it at once and just like you're saying could trample some of the other um, energies right but in the Enneagram there's this lovely system of um, if someone has that energy as a dominant personality type there's like a different energy that they kind of integrate to and a different energy that they disintegrate to and so the disintegration energy from eight goes to five which is like this observer and they have this fear story cycling through their head so i can see with a mars retrograde especially square these big capricorn players people might it's kind of like um freeze if you're talking about fight flight or freeze it's kind of like the they drop into this they're not taking action and they're, they have like this bad storyline going and going. And then the other direction, the integration side is actually to become a helper. And to me, that is so beautiful about Mars. Mars is like the protector, you know, it's like the night. And so leaning, like taking that aggression and instead of like shutting it down and getting stuck in this um, inner cycle of fear than to translate it into this opportunity to be of be of service and act like the king not only the knight but but the king and like take care of people and help i feel like that's a huge opportunity this whole fall with mars retrograde and aries like that i love that you shared that it's a really rich um 
symbol to consider for this time period. Um, what else do you see as notable or important for this Mars retrograde? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think again, just coming back to that Capricorn energy since it's squaring <clears throat> all of those planets and they're all ruled by Saturn. Also. So Jupiter, Pluto and Saturn and Capricorn. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then Saturn being in its own sign and ruling all of those and Mars is in its own sign. Um, it feels like there'll be a little tension, but keeping kind of the practical in, in mind and, and, um, and maybe the idea, I feel like there could be some tension between the idea of like destruction and building. Um, and there might be so, like a lot of discernment about which one are we going to do? <laughs> are yeah. we going to tear it all down or are we going to like this? Most of this is pretty good. Can we, can we repurpose it? Or what if we just make this shift over here, you know, or what if my Mars comes in and just cuts off this one thing that everything else is fine, you know? So it feels like there's, that's an opportunity of like um, Capricorn themes around like, with Saturn and Capricorn, actually, even though Pluto's in there and kind of like churning up the compost heap <laughs> and Jupiter's coming in to, to make sure everybody's doing their job or whatever, having Saturn still ruling everybody feels like it's still, it's like, it's time-based and it's practical. And like, really, we want to build something like we, we don't want a, a heap when we're done. We want um, make, you know, like if we take the compost pile thing, <laughs> instead of just a big, like, gross landfill in the backyard with food rotting and flies everywhere. There's those really lovely structures you can build where there's like three bins and then you first put the food in the first one and then you turn it over into the second one and then you turn it over into the third one. It's this beautiful, rich humus by the end. And so it feels like with Jupiter going in there is more buoyant and fluffy kind of it's bringing that air and then Saturn in there is kind of giving us this structure of like, how do we deal with all this poop? <laughs> this gross rot, like where do we put it? So we, we, we can use it to build something and Mars can be the one who comes in and like is churning the soil and um, hammering the wood that Saturn brought and things like that. So there's, there is kind of this like uh action toward health. Yeah. What an image. Um, you know, to thinking about like Mars will be separating from Saturn and Pluto, like in terms of its, you know, phase relationship. And so it's kind of coming from the anchor of the Capricorn. And I think it's interesting to think of that movement from Capricorn to Aries, where you kind of have the tension of, um, the young and the old, and sometimes there's a tension from the young that doesn't fully empathize or understand what they've inherited. So there's that, like, you know, the old kind of being like, I gave you all this, like yeah. you're, you're rebelling against not just what you don't like, but all these gifts that I've, you know, everything that's made you this way. And a place within the Aries archetype of not totally being able to see that, but also seeing things that are, you know, deconditioned and, fresh maybe that the the history behind them can't see as well mm -hmm. um so working with that kind of um rebellion versus uh tradition um energy and just kind of the i 
noticing that archetypal tension. And I think maybe even thinking about more noble ways to engage in that, because I've also seen, you know, like elders and students, um, that kind of situation where there's a dynamic friction, there's kind of like an arguing or a back and forth or a banter, but there's a general respect, uh, for both parties involved. And there's like a richness in that versus the kind of projection of shadow or demonization onto who we're fighting with, which I think can happen with Mars Pluto. There can be like a, um, a deep soul level accountability of like one's aggression from within versus like a projection of that onto like, Oh, it's that other person and projecting a bunch of stuff unnecessarily. Um, that's what comes to mind. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I was going to say earlier, actually, about Mars, um, well, about Aries, really, that uh, it's often, you know, portrayed as like this warrior energy. But uh, but what you're saying is reminding me there's also um, this like fresh baby newness about it. There's like a, it's like underdeveloped, but it's got all the, all the, all the, what's that word? It's a V word. Viver. Viver. <laughs> Vigor? I don't know. I think it's vigor. I, I think verve. I think I was thinking of verve. verve. Okay. Or vigor works too. But anyway, Mars is like, yeah. Um, I love, I just love what you're saying. So thanks for bringing up that context with the elders and the youngers and the respect because it's a super true and, and we kind of need to figure out how to gracefully navigate transition. You know, um, they're, there are some things that maybe need to go, but we, we don't want to, we don't want to just cut, <laughs> cut the elders off and throw them in the trash. You know what I mean? Like they're, and I feel like the elders are actually missing now. I, I noticed this over and over again, um, that they just don't seem present. I mean, in a certain way there, some people are really present, like even like some of the politicians running through the elections are of an elder kind of generation. Um, but then on the ground, like we have a, we have a community potluck we do weekly and we're all realizing like, Oh, there's not really grandparents. Like we have the parents and the kids, but there's not elders in our community. And there's a few people who are like kind of elders and there's, they're like a little hesitant to really claim elderhood, you know, that, and we're all kind of like toying with that line. Like some of them are like, Oh, I'm the oldest. I get to eat first. You know, like we're trying to like honor the elders and let them, um, just to sort of establish that among our kids and our community, that there's something of value in the in elderhood. Yeah. And I mean, I was just reflecting on this yesterday. Like it hit me like in the grocery store randomly. Like I just, it the, came through and now I, it's coming up again. But when I was younger, I had like a very sudden kind of realization or vision about what I thought was wrong with the past that I had come from. And it was very, it was intense as a realization and it wasn't tempered with um, very much. And the way that I lashed out at my family, at my professors, like at anyone who had a position of authority that at that point in my life, um, you know, anyone who was, elders, you know, like was so like, when I look back on it, I cringe. Cause I was like, ouch, like that was hard. Like, I don't know why I had to be that aggressive about it. And it, um, but when I watched just kind of like the impact of that, um, 
it's like, I don't know, at the same time too, like there's a certain anger of Aries in comparison to what seems stodgy and conservative and stuck in place about Capricorn. And the more that something appears to be stuck or rigid, almost the more frustrated Aries that just wants to like go and make things happen and change can get. And so, um, I found actually like, I'm getting on a little bit of a tangent, but at like a retreat I was at where we went on this like intentional wander and like talked to the the plants and got a message. These, uh, trees told me in this intentional wander that like, you don't have to go back and lash out at where you come from. Like you just move forward. And when you move forward, it often sends gifts um, and abundance back to where you came from, but you don't have to like do a 180 and just like, you know, sever, be like, this was wrong. You're bad or any of that. Like take that uh, knowledge of evolution and just carry forward basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know. Yeah. That, that's coming up now for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, I'd love to build on that actually. Cause I've, I've been, as we're speaking, I'm getting this clear visual here um, where if we're starting in Capricorn and that's the tradition, then the journey is, is, is really kind of like one of initiation. So we have, we have the young Aries who's like leading out, going away from the tradition of Capricorn and that and so in cultures or from what I understand the there is a um in cultures who practice intentional initiations part of the initiation is the kind of severing quote-unquote but it's not it's it's in the interest of getting the young one to go out and mature on their own so it's not it's exactly what you're saying you don't need to go back and like that's really going backwards, like to go back and like point fingers at, the, at Capricorn from Aries isn't, isn't the game. Like the game is to leave and go through this Aries energy separation period. And then it goes around the circle to the next cardinal sign is how I'm seeing it through these, this quarter, this like um, cross to, to um where they come back home, actually, usually there's like a departure and then a return. So we get to cancer and it's like the return. And then there's actually looking like this fourth part when we, after the return, that's when the relationships are actually built. And that's the bridge from, from the old to the new Um, and, and vice versa. It's more like a circle. So the, the young people are like initiated and then they understand like everything they're elders gave them because they're out in the wild <laughs> figuring it out you know they're like oh they were right <laughs> at least about this thing and then they can take it home and and they can kind of remerge. and then there's like this um equilibrium and equality among them like now they're an adult you know so it really sounds a lot like this initiation um cycle and we're so this mars retrograde in aries feels like a really big <laughs> Uh, it's like really kind of the beginning, you know, like we've been coming from this, as you were saying, when Mars was conjunct the planets in Capricorn, that was, that was kind of the seed, but right now it's like the quote unquote separation, but really we're leading to coming home and then integration and having more balance. Mm. So there's just going to be like a, 
an extra long period of time in this particular cycle that has to do with the kind of the hero's journey, like leaving home, leaving the tradition, um, being initiated, having adventures, but then, yeah, that element of like wrestling with what those things are since it'll be retrograde. Right. Yeah. And just having to figure it all out ourselves. Like that's, that's how initiation works. It's even though people traditionally often go out um, kind of in groups or have like a group experience, there's still a real individual. It's everyone has their own path and you can't be initiated unless you do your initiation. Right. But the beauty of, um, of cultures who do these, these initiations on purpose is the container. And that's kind of like, that's maybe the blessing that Capricorn is offering with all of these squares that sound kind of quote unquote frustrating or hard, but, but there is a container. And so it's not like the self initiation that people do where they're like drinking too much or whatever, cutting themselves or, you know, different um, things where it's unguided self initiation, but there's, there is this container that we have to work with. Um, Even though it's, I still do it still may be the case that some of some parts of what's happening needs to be composted as we were saying before, or, or like rethought like these, all of us who are going through this Mars retrograde are probably going to get different insights that we can reconvene and put them together. Hmm. It's been really cool to kind of flesh out these, um, to look ahead and to uh, do this together. Um, yeah, totally. I think this is actually my first time making a podcast episode of this nature. So oh, cool. it's like a collaborative um, forecast and just really cool to feel the images and insights that came through as within this field together. Mm-hmm. Um, I love speaking in images too. Yeah, same. <laughs> um, so you're doing the retrograde clubs. Can you share a little bit more about what that is and how people can get involved? Sure. Yeah. So I'm doing retrograde clubs for Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars this year. And it doesn't matter which planet, they all consist of five meetings, but they might be closer together. Like Venus, we meet every other week and then Saturn, we meet every few weeks. Um, And Anyone is welcome to join any of them, but you might consider one particularly if it, if that planet rules your rising sign, for example, or maybe your sun or your moon, or if it's otherwise important, like on an angle. And if you're not sure, um, you can send me a message on Instagram at Beautiful Astrology, and I can help you figure out which one might be the best. Um, and then I, it also depends what degrees you have placements in in your chart. Um, by where the the different planets are going, but I'll I'll have that on my website. So if you wanted to go um, look for that, or it's also on my Instagram. Okay, and mm-hmm. so you have a podcast, um, and yeah, I would just love to hear about your work and your offerings in general. Cool. Yeah. So my website is um, beautiful-astrology.com, and on there you can find my website and my blog. Um, and different offerings. Sometimes I'll teach classes at the Portland School of Astrology. And um, I do tend to offer kind of more unique things, I think, like last year, instead of 
the retrograde clubs, the thing I offered was um, a year subscription to monthly readings. So I, I just love working with people over more than one time. I still do those readings where it's like a one-time reading, but I really prefer to um, kind of be more of a companion for people and help them help educate them about their chart and how astrology actually works through time. So um, that's partly why I'm offering these retrograde clubs so I get to see people more often and we can all team up and be like a cohort together. So that is really exciting to me. I hope it um, serves people. As you said earlier, that it's, it does seem like a service and that's, that's completely the intention. I just really want to like support people through these different developments because they can be kind of um, confusing or unsettling, especially if you don't know the timeline. That's so awesome. I'm glad that you're doing this and offering this. And thanks for sharing um, your insights about the transits um, and the retrogrades with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. resourced for these upcoming retrogrades through this conversation and if you are wanting to continue this conversation about retrogrades you should check out Melanie's retrograde clubs and I'll be forecasting every week throughout this so if you haven't already read my forecasts at monarchastrology.com I really recommend them they are poetic and basically transmissions so I really channel them from a space of wanting to support and elevate you throughout whatever the astrological weather is. Thank you for listening to this show. And if you've been listening for a while and you have something to say about it, I would love to read your review. If you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and take a screenshot before you click submit and email it to me at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll take down your email and send you a free gift when it's ready that I'm sending to reviewers of the podcast. I'm wishing you the best and hope that you have a beautiful, heart-opening Venus retrograde experience. Thank you for listening.